evening, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you're located in the world. I am Jason Jones, and you are listening to the EDU Spot. Now, this was formerly called the His Hardline Quick Look. We are going to change the name to the EDU Spot because it's more fitting for what we're going to be doing here. And so what we're going to be reading today, we're going to be continuing now um, because we did five parts so far, five readings. So when I say five parts, five readings so far in the training manual, the field training manual 2000-25. And if you're not familiar with the reasoning of why we are reading through the field training manual that was put out by the War Department, by the way, 2000-25. I suggest maybe going to look it up or maybe listen to the first episode, the first part. Um, It's very relevant with where we're at, where we were, where we're at, and where we are going as a nation. And so, um, again, I will reiterate and I will remind you, in case you do not go back and listen, FDR wanted this war manual. He wanted, excuse me, he wanted this training manual 2000-25. He wanted it destroyed and he wanted all production to be ceased. And it was General Douglas MacArthur who was the leading commander of the Pacific Fleet of the U.S., of course, that handpicked some of the brightest special forces under his command And not only trained them underneath this 2000-25 training manual, but also trained them up on the Constitution. And so this, this, this manual is very pivotal and very vital to where we're going to be going forward as a nation. Now, this is a very big section in this uh, next part of the manual. Um, let's see here, because we are starting off with technically section four in the manual, um, and it's titled Great Americans and Their Achievements. Now, it's a pretty long reading, so I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get through all of this whole section in one um, in one segment. I might have to break this up into two, um, which might make it a little easier, too, as well for, for people who want to listen to this and digest little bits and pieces at a time. Because when you start getting too much information, it becomes a little bit overload for the brain. But I have to make sure I have some water here because it'll be a lot of reading. But So that's what we're going to be talking about is great Americans and their achievements. And so we'll be talking a little bit about you know Benjamin Franklin and John Marshall, Thomas Jefferson, Daniel Webster, Abraham Lincoln, And, of course, the winning of the West. Let's see here. What else we got here? George Rogers Clark, Lewis and Clark, Reverend Marcus Whitman. Who else here? John C. Fremont. Some of these people I've heard of, some of them not so much. But like I said, I never claim to pay attention much to history. But this this, this training manual is very, very important with where we're going to be going at forward as a nation. Excuse me. I had to take a sip. So we're going to start... Here, let's see here. So if you're reading along, and I think what I'm going to do in the show notes, I think I might get the, um, I, I'll, I'll get the PDF, the uh, the download. I'll find the source online and I'll put it in the show notes because if you are the type of person that likes to read along as you listen, um, you know, just so you can absorb it easy, you know, more, uh, I, I will, I will do that. I will put that in the show notes going forward so you can, you know, reference what exactly I am reading 
and you can go back and reread it if it's something, you know, you so choose. And so we're on page 38. Um, the end of this section goes to page 55. Again, not sure if I'm going to make it all the way through to 55. That's a lot of reading. And I try to keep this at a very short, um, short stint. So we're just going to get started here. So let's see. So we're going to talk about the value of biography. Now, it reads here, the history of any nation in its ideals and achievements, its motives and spirit invariably reflects the character of its leaders. And the stories of the lives and accomplishments of its great men are the windows through which is revealed the soul of the nation. Now, the biographies of the leaders of America should be carefully studied as the means of best understanding the controlling factors in the development of our, of our country in any given period. And these stories are revealed... The combat of minds, the clash of opinions, the cunning of politicians, the ruthlessness of self-seekers, and the saving forces of those dominant leaders who inspired the people to follow them in the establishment of the ideals, out of which have been created the splendid achievements of our people. In the lives of our great men are to be found the elements of righteousness, courage, justice, unselfish devotion to duty, self-reliance, initiative, and stubborn determination, all the ingredients from which was brewed the viral, the viral, aggressive, and generous spirit of America. Now, with each succeeding period of our progress in government, in industry, agriculture, education, medical science, we have had the leadership of men and women devoted to public service with little thought of personal gain. Boy, that's kind of interesting. Kind of falls right in line with that uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 quote. Um, it falls right in line with that verse right here. You know, just doing public service with little thought of personal gain and thinking of others as more important than yourselves. I absolutely love that. Hmm. So interesting. In the spirit of government, of our government, was established. Now, they who had power to assume control dared to commit that control to a free people, knowing that the ideals of liberty, justice, and individual right had been indelibly stamped upon the very souls of their countrymen. Now, in like spirit, succeeding generations have responded to the call of their leaders for the preservation of our nation. Creative and destructive forces are in eternal conflict. The experience of the past gives us wisdom to accomplish the task of the present. Now, as far as fields of achievement, the ideals and accomplishments of our great Americans were to establish a government that was fit to be entrusted with all the powers that a free people ought to delegate to any government as the safe and proper depository of national interest, controlled not by the passions but by the reason of the people to develop the natural resources of the country and to open up the way of opportunity to all. Now, however, great Americans have not confined their achievements to the field of government and protection of our institutions. Many of the great industries, much of our medical science, communication, and transportation found first expression in the keen minds of our pioneers. 
In the biographies of these men are incidents as thrilling, full of daring, and productive of rich achievements as are revealed in the lives of the mighty army who conquered the wilderness and won for the United States in succession the colonies, the Northwest Territory, Louisiana, the Oregon Country, Texas, California, and the Great Southwest. Now, George Washington. Now, this noble first citizen of America is the outstanding character in the history of our country. From his early youth, he demonstrated these qualities of leadership, which with the experience gained in his great achievements made him the dominant personality of his time. With military leadership at the early age of 23 years, he was placed in command of the Virginia Rangers. He became the hero of General Braddock's ill-fated campaign against the French and Indians. And after General Braddock's failure to accept his advice, which caused his death and the defeat of his troops, it was the superior ability of Washington which saved the British from rout and possibly annihilation. As commander-in-chief of the Continental Army, he took command of a disorganized, undisciplined, yet loyal body of raw provincials, ragged and starved, half-frozen, and poorly equipped by the force of his character. He brought them to a condition of training and discipline that gave final success to the colonial cause. Now, by the charm and strength of his personality, he won the admiration and enthusiastic support of the great German general, von Steuben, the brilliant Frenchman, Count de Lafayette, and the gallant Paul Kosciuszko. Now, as far as political leadership, the conclusion of the war found General Washington so exalted in the hearts of his countrymen as to make him the virtual ruler of the new nation created largely through his military genius and indomitable will, foregoing all personal ambitions, other than that of molding a free people into an enduring nation, he gave himself with equal faithfulness to the work of peace and orderly government. Serving without pay, in all his public career, his life of unselfish devotion rightfully won for him the title of Father of His Country. When charged by an unfriendly Congress with usurpation of power, he replied, a character to lose and a state to forfeit, the inestimable blessings of liberty at stake and a life devoted must be my excuse. Inspired by the influence of his character and his qualities of statesmanship, such men as Hamilton, Jefferson, Madison, Randolph, King, Marshall, Monroe, and the vulnerable Franklin addressed themselves with him to the task of constructing a new government, which in the following generations was destined to become an ever-growing memorial to their wisdom and patriotic devotion to the ideals and rights of humanity. Thank you, by the way, Oscar. I saw that you posted the link on here. So for anybody that does come on and they want the, uh, you, they want to reference where to get this training manual. You can copy that link that Oscar posted, paste it in your search bar, hit enter. And it'll take you right to the page and you can download the PDF. Thank you very much for that, Oscar. I really appreciate that. Now, in George Washington's farewell address, the wisdom 
the, saga uh, the sagacity and vision of Washington gave the United Colonies a Republican rather than a Democratic form of government. I'm going to repeat that. The vision of Washington gave the United Colonies a Republican rather than a Democratic form of government. So, a little sidebar here. I'm going to step aside from this reading for a second. Can you understand why I get so burned and irritated when I hear people, and I'm going to keep names out of my mouth because some people are still good, but I don't. I, I still have questions, and I'm trying to get answer those answers to those questions. Why certain people that are household names that we often revered as wonderful leaders, why they often refer this country as a democracy? It makes me irritated. Continuing on, in the utmost inspired words of his farewell address, in the framing of which he undoubtedly had the assistance of Alexander Hamilton and James Madison, two of the finest minds of that period, he gave counsels concerning the pitfalls which have destroyed other popular governments of history. As far as these counsels have been observed, the nation has enjoyed peace, prosperity, and happiness. Now, the nation's gratitude. George Washington, who was born February 22nd, 1732, he died September 14th, 1799. Within the scope of his 67 years, he was surveyor, farmer, soldier, statesman, commander-in-chief of the Continental Army, and twice president of the United States of America. More than to any other, we owe our everlasting debt of gratitude to George Washington for American independence and the Constitution of the United States. Amen. Now, Benjamin Franklin. Now, sidebar, and I need to look more into this, but I find that there are some, definitely some very not-so-good things about Benjamin Franklin. Now, I don't want to bastardize him or his character, because he has done some good things. However, I have discovered some other things through people who have done some extensive reach, research on Ben Franklin. And uh, maybe I'm going to do a separate show on that. But yeah, some very interesting findings. But we're going to stick with the war manual here, the training manual. Now, if, if you're following along, whether if on the download or in live, I am in, um, I'm in sub, I'm in section 56, which I believe would be page 39 on Benjamin Franklin. Now, Benjamin Franklin manifested the qualities characteristic of the American. Genius he, he possessed, but it was the genius of hard work. He was a self-made man, and at the age of 17 years, he came from Massachusetts to Philadelphia, which became his lifelong residence. Now, printer, publisher, and philanthropist. Now, a journeyman printer by trade, he ultimately became the author and printer of Poor Richard's Almanac, a publication of homely philosophy, which contains many gems of wisdom and good advice as applicable today as in his time. Franklin was identified with the Pennsylvania Gazette. He founded the Saturday Evening Post, the University of Pennsylvania, and the Philadelphia Public Library. He was the first postmaster general of the colonies. Now, that I did not know. He was a scientist, 
Now, with all of these activities, he still found time to devote to science. The flash of lightning and a thunderstorm caused him to wonder rather than to fear. In it, he recognized a mightily force. His philosophic mind concluded that in some way, the flash of lightning, being electricity, could be controlled and brought into the service of mankind. It pays to think. Creative minds, as exemplified in Franklin rather than manual labor, have produced the great achievements of all time. He was also a political philosopher. Benjamin Franklin was too busy to be idle. Absorbed with the affairs and welfare of the colonies, he proposed in 1754 that the colonies be formed into a union. Franklin believed that his proposition been accepted or had this proposition been accepted, a separation from the British Empire would never have taken place. Now, 20 years later, a call for a general congress of the colonies was issued by Virginia at the instigation of Franklin and held in Philadelphia in May 1774. Now, Benjamin Franklin took an active part in framing the Declaration of Independence of which he was one of the signers, of course. He was also a diplomat. Now, two years later, he went to France where, in fur cap and homespun clothing, he, the typical American commoner, created a wave of enthusiasm which won the French to the cause of the colonies. Now, he was also a member of the Constitutional Convention. Now, so at the age of 81 years, this old, young, hard philosopher took a most prominent part in the deliberations of the, Con of the Constitutional Convention held in Philadelphia from May to September of 1787. And his wisdom and counsel often prevailed in those long and stormy sessions. Now, his love of country and faith in democracy gave him a vision of the future greatness of America that few in his time possessed. Now, as we get into John Marshall, the life and work of John Marshall is intimately blended with the Constitution. He ranked high as a soldier, legislator, diplomat, historian, and statesman, and as a jurist, and magistrate, he ranks first. For 34 years, he served as Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States, leaving a record for constructive results in the government of the United States, second only to that of Washington. He was a soldier. He began a study of law at the age of 18, but soon left his studies to enter the Revolutionary War, or excuse me, the Revolutionary Army. His experiences with their heroisms and hardships, broadened his views and quickened his insight in governmental questions. And he said, I entered the army, a Virginian, and left it an American. He was a member of the assembly. Now, after the war, he was elected a member of the Virginia assembly. And during his remarkable career, he served in the legislature for eight sessions. He continually emphasized his conviction that for efficiency, a strong central government was necessary. Now, as far as the ratification of the Constitution, now as a member of the state convention in 1788, which met to discuss the ratification of the Constitution of the United States, through the power of his 
convincing logic, the ratification of the Constitution was accomplished over the, the determined opposition of its enemies. He was also a member of Congress. At the urgent request of Washington, he became a candidate and was elected to Congress, where he became the greatest debater on constitutional questions. He was also an interpreter of the Constitution. In 1829, through his wisdom and moderation, he did much to prevent radical changes to the state constitution of Virginia, thwarting the attempts of politicians against the independence of the judiciary. And because of his exceptional understanding of the philosophy of the Constitution of the United States, his counsel was of prime importance. And so his deep convictions and illuminating arguments contained in his decisions concerning constitutional questions at a period when the powers of the Constitution will, were ill-defined, were of inestimable value in the formation of a well-organized federal government, and he made the Constitution live. Excuse me, live. He made the Constitution live. He imparted to it the breath of immortality. Its vigorous life at the present time is due mainly to the wise interpretation he gave to its provisions during his term of office. Now, the most notable products of Marshall's unprecedented judicial career may be summed up under two heads. In the first place, he established the supremacy, the supremacy of federal law within the entire circle of its jurisdiction, no matter whether it was supposed to be the Congress or by a state legislature in the form of unconstitutional enactments or by the president giving instructions not warranted by law or by the state Supreme Courts attempting to resist the mandates of the Supreme Court or by the governors of states attempting to resist such mandates. In the second place, in defining the character of the American Constitution, origin and growth of the American Constitution by Hannes Taylor. Now, as we get into Thomas Jefferson, by reason of his ability as a thinker and speaker, Thomas Jefferson quickly gained a place of leadership first in Virginia, then in the colonies where he was constantly employed in fighting oppressive British regulations and interference in the affairs of his country. Staunch in his defense of rights of the people, he caused Virginia to pass many laws of a revolutionary character, among which was the abrogation of the rights of nobility, entailed estates, and the absolute right of religious liberty. As far as the Declaration of Independence, he was a member of, the most, of that famous group which, upon call of the resolution proposed by Richard Harry Lee, wrote the Declaration of Independence. Now, although the youngest, his dominant personality and exceptional ability caused him to be chosen chairman of that committee, which included such stalwarts as John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Roger Sherman, and Robert R. Livingston. The, instru uh, the instrument practically as written by Jefferson was unanimously adopted to become for all time one of the immortal documents relating to human rights and self-government. 
as far as being president of the United States, in the trying days during the following of the Revolutionary War, Thomas Jefferson was a member of the Continental Congress. He was governor of Virginia, ambassador to France, succeeding Franklin, and recalled to become Secretary of State in President Washington's cabinet, where he bitterly opposed the policy of Alexander Hamilton in his endeavor to extend the powers of government over the people. Hmm. Didn't know that either about Alexander Hamilton. Did not know that he was trying to extend the powers of the government. And very interesting. Continuing on. On a platform based upon his ideas and policies, he was elected the third president of the United States as a Democratic Republican over his opponent, who, as a Federalist, espoused the principles of Hamilton. Now, with regards to the Louisiana Purchase, during the first years of his two terms as president, he completed the negotiations with France for the purchase of the vast domain over 900,000 square miles lying west of the Mississippi River and east of the Rocky Mountains known as the Louisiana Territory. The purchase price was $15 million. $15 million, by the way, was at that time considered exorbitant and created much adverse criticism in which Jefferson was denounced as the imperialist and as having forsaken his democratic principles. Now, the reasons for this action on his part were that he saw the advantage of gaining control of the Mississippi River in the port of New Orleans, and that by this purchase, the United States would be left unhampered by foreign countries in developing her republican form of government. Now, as far as the achievements, the outstanding events of his public life are to be found in the writing of the Declaration of Independence and also the enactment of the Statute for Religious Liberty, founding the University of Virginia and the purchase of the Louisiana Territory. Now, as we move on, we move on to Daniel Webster. Now, Daniel Webster belongs to the first generation of Americans who knew no other form of government than that established by the federal constitution. So intimately in his name associated with that great document that he has become known to history as the greatest expounder of the constitution. Now, as far as tampering with the constitution, when, when but 20 years old, he delivered an address which contained the following. And I read, the experience of all ages will bear us out in saying that alterations of political systems are always attended with a greater or less degree of danger. The politician that undertakes to improve a constitution with as little thought as a farmer sets about mending his plow is no master of his trade. If the constitution be a systematic one, its parts are so necessarily connected that an alteration in one will work an alteration in all. And the cobbler, however, pure and honest, his intentions will in the end find that what came to his hands, a fair, lovely fabric, goes from them a miserable piece of patchwork. Amen. Now, as far as a representative government, 
As a further caution against a pronounced tendency, he declared, and I quote, the true definition of despotism is government without law. It may exist in the hands of many as well as one. Rebellions are despotisms. Factions are despotisms. Loose democracies are despotisms. These are a thousand times more dreadful than the concentration of all power in the hands of a single tyrant. The despotism of, despotism of one man is like the thunderbolt which falls here and there, scorching and consuming the individual on whom it lights. But popular commotion, the despotism of the mob, is like an earthquake which in one moment swells up everything. It is the excellence of our government that is that it is placed in a proper medium between these two extremes, that it is equally distant from mobs and from thrones. It's all about finding, finding that happy medium. Now, Webster clearly understood our representative form of government and the importance of avoiding the dangerous extremes of either hereditary, also known as an autocratic government, or a direct, or also known as a democratic government. Now, as a reply to Hain, Webster's replies to Hain in the United States Senate are considered as the greatest debate that has ever occurred in any legislative body in the history of the world. And his second reply began with the following words, and I quote, Mr. President, when the mariner has been tossed for many days in thick weather and on an unknown sea by he naturally avails himself of the first pause in the storm the earliest glance of the sun to take his latitude and ascertain how far the elements have driven him from his true course let us imitate this prudence and before we float farther on the waves of this debate refer to the point from which we departed that we may at least be able to conjecture where we now are. Hmm. End quote. Now this indicates a wholesome state of mind with which to approach important discussions concerning the philosophy of our government as expressed in the Constitution. Now before we drift farther toward direct action and socialistic tendencies, we should return and study and thought to the work of the men who wrote the Constitution and ascertain how far we are departing from the course therein laid down. This is why it's so important. We need to read the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, as well as the Federalist Papers, I believe, by the way. Now, as far as we get into Abraham Lincoln, if you're reading along, this is on uh, Section 60, with Abraham Lincoln. Now, George Washington gave us the Union. Abraham Lincoln saved the Union. Now, log cabins were common in this country a hundred years ago. It was not a log cabin that gave distinction to Abraham Lincoln, although he was born in the poorest of such cabins on February 12, 1809. He had limited education. His honors were not conferred upon him because of a university education, two short terms in a Kentucky school, followed by three in Indiana, 
less than a year in all, does not give much foundation for a scholastic attainments. He had handicaps. To study the life of Lincoln makes one almost believe that God purposely placed every conceivable handicap upon him just to prove his staying qualities and to set an example and purpose, principle, and the perseverance that would act as an inspiration for young and old possessed of an ambition and endurance, the vision and character necessary to success. Now, Abraham Lincoln was homely, yet he possessed the beauty of soul dedicated to, rel- uh, to relieving the burdens and sorrows of humanity. He was a rail splitter. In his rugged physical strength, he was as gentle as a woman. His was a lowly birth, yet his spirit is the richest legacy of the United States. Now, he was also a lawyer. He was a, quote, saddlebag lawyer, yet with a copy of Blackstone, a Webster's Dictionary, and the fundamental law of God and human rights in his heart and head, he won his way to the respectful consideration of all opponents. Now, with his sense of humor and ability as a storyteller, there was in him a super sense of justice, and he often fitted a story to emphasize a truth that otherwise might have been forgotten. Now, with regards to the preservation of the Union, and I'm going to quote, a house divided against itself cannot stand, end quote. Upon that issue, the preservation of the Union, Abraham Lincoln was elected president of the United States, tolerant with all who opposed, kind to all who hated, charitable to those who denounced, He held firmly to the single purpose of saving the Union in the belief that in Union only could our nation endure. The beauty of diction, the reverence, sympathy, and love, the magnanimity and charity, and the vision of the worth of the price paid for the preservation of our Union as set forth in his Gettysburg speech will make him acclaimed after all other orators are forgotten. Now the nation incarnate. He was the nation incarnate. In all his, its struggles, its doubts, its agony, and in solemn days of victory, Abraham Lincoln lived alone for his country. No one man has ever rendered greater service nor paid a greater price for faithful performance as he has given us a rich legacy in his spirit and example, so he has left us a great responsibility that we highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. The winning of the West. In a brief space of time, 50 years was accomplished, the stupendous task entitled by President Roosevelt, the winning of the West, an accomplishment made possible by the sturdy character of the men and women who so fearlessly and laboriously carried on once they set their faces toward the Golden West. Accustomed to frugality and hard labor, inured the hardships and privation, stern and self-discipline and faith, mighty in determination and self-reliance, they not only left to posterity, an inheritance of 
fertile land, virgin forest, great water resources, and untold, untold mineral wealth, but greater than the sum of all material gain. They passed on to this and succeeding generations the principles and traditions of independence, liberty, and justice as an example of worth, of clean living, high purpose, and great faith that should be an inspiration to every loyal American. Now, in the original grant of charter to the several colonies by Great Britain, the western limits were practically undefined. Several of the colonies claimed territory extending westward as far as the Mississippi River and north of the Ohio to the Great Lakes. As far as the Northwest Territory, in the compromises made composing the differences between the colonies, it was agreed to define the western boundaries of such colonies to more restricted areas, dedicating the disputed territory of the United States to be known as the Northwest Territory, which at that time was occupied by the French in British trading posts. This area included what are now the states of Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, and Wisconsin, all territory lying west of the Mississippi River and east of the Rocky Mountains from the Gulf of Mexico to an undetermined northern limit, was then a possession of Spain known as the Louisiana Territory, transferred by Spain to France and then sold in 1803 to the United States. With the exception of the few venturesome spirits who found their way across the mountains from south of the Ohio River and as far west as the Mississippi, this land of ours was an unknown wilderness to the settlers of the colonies, alive with deer, buffalo, and small game, rich in timber, fertile of soil, watered by numberless rivers and lakes, America, at the close of the War of the Revolution, still awaited discovery. Now, slow development. The thrilling story of the winning of the West is a series of events accomplished not by military force, but rather by the efforts of a host of hardy pioneers who, with indomitable fortitude and incredible labor, won in succession the swamps, rolling prairies, forests, plains, rugged mountains, and the fruitful Pacific slope. No single individual dominated this vast domain. It was the rank and file who conquered in this battle of the wilderness. Its conquest was not quickly accomplished. As in all great movements, leadership was developed with here and there a man who became identified with some particular period or section. Now, what I'm going to do right here, because this section of the manual goes on to page 55, and we're at the uh, close to the end of page 47, where it starts to pick up with Daniel Boone. Now, I've been part of my struggle here with the podcast here is time management. And so I am learning to set boundaries on myself to make sure I don't go over and also to make it a little bit easier for listening, because as people listen to the training manual 2000-25, I want to make sure that it is in little bite sizes for mental consumption, so it's not too much for the brain to take in. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be marking a spot here by Daniel Boone. We're going to pick this up in another day or so, and we're going to continue on, if not tomorrow, possibly Wednesday at the latest, if I don't do it tomorrow. Um, and so, because I want to make sure that I set some time to make sure I get some sleep, 
So that's one of my biggest things as well is I want to make sure I take care of, you know, make sure I practice good time management. So we're going to leave it here for now on page 47 of the manual with a section starting with Daniel Boone. And again, I will post the, um, the link uh, for the training manual. So this way you all have it. In fact, I'm going to copy it right now so I don't have to go looking for it. Thank you again for that, Oscar, for putting that in the comment section. And so I'm going to post the link. So if you're one who likes to read along while listening, it'll be much easier. And then I'll let you know at the start of the next section, the next episode, um, where we're leaving off. So you can reference where we're starting at and you can read along if you want to listen. So with that, I hope you all have a good night. That concludes part six of the EDU spot which is a reading of the training manual 2000-25. I hope you all have a blessed night and we'll be back tomorrow for 1% with him. Maybe, just maybe, we'll finish this out tomorrow. We'll do the EDU spot part seven. All right, that's it. I hope you all have a great night.